from the Heidelberg Catechism. Let's read together Lord's Day 25. Since then, faith alone makes a share in Christ and all his benefits. Where does this faith come from? From the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by their use he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us. On the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the new covenant? Two. Holy baptism and the Holy Supper. <clears throat> Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Within the Christian church today, there are different styles of worship. We worship God in what would many would label a more traditional style. Our liturgy moves back and forth from God speaking to us, to us responding to him. Anything that doesn't fit in that covenant dialogue is not included in our worship services. God speaks to us in the greeting the law, the reading of scripture, the preaching of the gospel, the administration of the sacraments, and in the final blessing. And we respond with songs, with confession of sins, with prayers, professing our faith, and the giving of our gifts. In front of our church, we have a solid pulpit. And the preaching of the gospel is central to our worship. We sing the psalms, and most of our hymns date back hundreds of years. Our singing is accompanied by organ or piano. Today, there are many churches in our community that practice a more contemporary form of worship. Such services still include singing, prayers, reading of scripture, and preaching. Yet many evangelical and community churches around us have a very different feel to them. People dress much more casually for worship. The front, of the, state, the front of the church is often a stage. Different people are involved in leading the service. Preaching is no longer central to worship. It's complemented with personal testimonies and other things. The psalms and the hymns of Christendom have been replaced with contemporary music. Some kind of band leads the singing. Now, within our churches, there are people who are pushing for a more contemporary form of worship. 
There's some who do not like the Genevan tunes of the Book of Praise, who would like to sing us, like us to sing more contemporary music. And instead of having the singing accompanied by organ or piano, they'd like to see a band leading the singing. People get tired of the same old way of doing things. They want to experience something new. They think it'd be much more interesting to listen to someone's testimony about their conversion or a mission trip that they went on than to hear the minister preach another boring sermon. Some of our churches have accommodated members' desires for a more contemporary worship service. Their singing is led by a band. They sing contemporary music in their pre- and post-service songs. In other churches, this whole matter is causing tension and strain. Some people vote with their feet. They withdraw from our churches to attend a church where they're more comfortable. It raises the question of what worship is all about, about how we are to worship God. It's good for us to consider such questions Yet in doing so, it's important for us to go back to what the Bible teaches. How we worship God should not be driven by our passions and desires, but by the principles God teaches in his word. Worship is not about what we want. Worship is about what God wants. It's not about what traditional people want or what more contemporary people want. Ultimately, it's about the Lord and what he teaches in his word. As congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as individual believers, we can't enter into any discussions about worship unless we have immersed ourselves in what the Bible says about it. This afternoon in Lord's Day 25, we learned some foundational principles about worship. We learn about how worship is about God being at work in his people. When God gathers you together from Sunday to Sunday through the call of your elders, he does so with a view to changing you. God's purpose is to work faith in your heart and to strengthen you in your faith. It is to renew you to make you holy, to cause you to grow in maturity, to lead you forward on the pathway of everlasting life. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. God gathers us in worship in order to do his life-changing work in us. We'll consider the means by which the Spirit changes us and the call for us to focus our lives on Christ. When speaking about worship, some emphasize that worship is all about God. The purpose of a worship service, they say, is that we give glory to God. This comes out sometimes in the responses we give when there's complaints about the preaching. If someone says, I didn't get much out of that sermon, parents or elders might respond, but what did you bring to worship? What did God get out of you? It's important for us to recognize that when we gather in worship, we come into the presence 
of our holy and majestic God. He is worthy of our praise and our adoration. Hebrews 12, verse 28 encourages us to offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Clearly, our worship needs to be God-centered. We should be passionately involved in it with heart and soul and mind and strength, giving glory to God. But that's not all that the Bible teaches us about worship. Worship is not just about giving glory to God. Worship is also very much about God meeting with us so that he can do his life-changing work in us. When we meet with God in worship, he has promised to be present among us. In Matthew 18, 20, Jesus said to his disciples, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. God is present with his spirit among us in order to transform us, to change us from sinful, self-absorbed people into his redeemed and renewed congregation. Our Lord's Day focuses on this aspect of worship, on how God gathers us together from Sunday to Sunday so he can do his life-changing work in us. Lord's Day 25 deals with, with what we in theology call the means of grace. In the previous Lord's Days, we've seen that we are justified, that we're made right with God by faith alone. And so the question arises, where does this faith come from? How does God work this faith in our hearts? How does God take us from out of darkness and bring us into Christ's glorious light? How does God work in us to keep us walking with him? What are the tools God uses to change us, to renew us, to cause us to grow in maturity, to lead us to our eternal home? Lord said 25 teaches that God has ordained two means to work and strengthen our faith. The Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel. Preaching is important. It's the heart of our worship service. For when a minister explains scripture and applies it to our lives, and when we hear what is said, the Holy Spirit uses that to do his life-changing work in us. The Holy Spirit strengthens us in our faith through the sacraments. Our confessions say that it is because God is mindful of our insensitivity and weaknesses that he's given the sacraments to assure us of his promises and to nourish us in our faith. Thus, worship is not just about us gathering to glorify God. It's about God working in us by His Spirit, doing His life-changing work in us. Our catechism teaching about how God works in us is based on God's Word. We read this afternoon from Isaiah 55. The prophet begins this passage with a call. He calls those who are thirsty to come to the waters. And those who have no money to come, buy and eat. 
just as those deprived of food and drink can die of hunger or thirst, so God's people were dying because of a lack of knowledge. Isaiah calls them to come, to listen diligently. He says, incline your ear and come to me. Hear, and your soul will live. God's people had strayed from the Lord and his service. They served the gods of the surrounding nations. Thus, they no longer knew the Lord and his steadfast love for them. And so Isaiah encourages them to seek the Lord while he may be found, to call on him while he is near. What does it mean to seek the Lord? And how could God's people find him? The way for Israel to come to know the Lord was to listen to the prophets whom he sent them. It was to gather and worship and to hear the Bible read and explained by their priests. It sounds so ordinary, so pedestrian. Yet as the Lord said in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God has ordained a simple way to work faith in the hearts of his people. It is through the preaching of his word. To bring the point home, the Lord uses an example from nature. He talks about precipitation and about the water cycle. God releases water from the clouds in the form of rain. It waters the earth, causing plants to bud and grow. Eventually, excess water will evaporate from the surface of the earth and again form new clouds. But the point is that God uses this water cycle to cause plants to grow and to develop and to bear fruit. God sends rain to provide food for mankind. Well, in the same way, God sends forth his word. The Lord says, just as the water cycle provides food for mankind, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God uses his word to make himself and all his mighty deeds known. He works that word into the hearts of his people by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. Do you know why the preaching of the gospel is so important, beloved? Because it's the means by which the Spirit changes us. By nature, we are self-focused, self-seeking, self-absorbed people. For many, life is about doing what I want to make me happy. In and of ourselves, God is never going to be the focus of our lives. Our sinful nature would never incite us to seek God or to learn to know Him. Of ourselves, we would never devote our hearts and our lives to Christ or live to God's glory. By nature, we're inclined to hate God and our neighbor. Yet the Spirit changes us. He causes us to be born again. He transforms our lives. He takes that which was spiritually dead, and he makes it alive. 
He works repentance and faith in our hearts. He renews us more and more putting to death the sinful desires of the flesh. He works in us a love for God, a desire to live for him. God takes our self-absorbed, self-seeking nature and he transforms us so that our focus is not on what we want. The Spirit changes us from the inside out so that more and more we love God and our neighbor. The Spirit works this change in us through the preaching of the gospel. Think of what we read from 1 Peter 1. Peter speaks about how it is possible for us to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. He explains this is possible since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And then Peter adds that this word is the good news that was preached to you. The word of God is powerful. It's simply by speaking that God created this world. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood fast. In a similar way, it's by his word that God does his life-changing work in us. Hebrews 4 describes the power of God's word. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God's word penetrates deep inside of us, changing our hearts, renewing our minds. It's God's word that creates new life in us. Now, in many churches, the preaching of God's word no longer has a central place. People want other things to spice up the liturgy. They're tired of what they call the one-man show. We've seen this happen in the Reformed churches in the Netherlands and in many Christian Reformed churches. Kids get hauled out of church for their own programs. And then later on, they get brought back in to report what they did at Sunday school. People are invited to the front to give personal testimonies of how God brought them to faith or to report on their involvement in mission trips. There's this parade of people on and off of the stage. There's a shift in what worship is all about. Instead of being God-centered, the focus seems to be on pleasing people's desires to be entertained. In many modern churches, the time for gospel preaching is limited to 10 or perhaps 15 minutes. Preaching of the gospel is considered to be boring, old-fashioned, and outdated. Yet, beloved, consider what the Bible itself teaches about the preaching of the gospel. In Romans 1.16, Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God by which he transforms us. 
In Romans 10, 17, Paul teaches, so faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. It is through the preaching of the gospel that the Holy Spirit does his life-changing work in us. It's through the preaching and the use of the sacraments that the Spirit strengthens and nourishes our faith. This brings us to our second point, and it will consider the call for us to focus our lives on Christ. We've considered how the preaching of the gospel and the use of the sacraments are the means of grace God has ordained. These are the tools God uses to work faith in us and to strengthen us in our faith. They are the means by which the Holy Spirit does his life-changing work in us. The Spirit uses them to renew us, to make us holy, to cause us to grow in maturity, to lead us forward on the pathway of everlasting life. The reason that these means are effective is because they focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. The Spirit does not work some generic faith in us. Our faith has content. Our faith is in the only Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in the mighty works that Jesus has done for us. It's in his sacrificial death that he has paid the price for our sins. On the third day after his death, Jesus rose again from the dead. Through his resurrection, he grants us new life in him. For God to work new life in us by his Spirit, the preaching of the gospel needs to focus on Jesus Christ. For baptism to be more than a quaint ritual, we need to see and to understand that the outward washing with water is a symbol that assures us that Christ has washed away all our sins by his blood and spirit. For the Lord's Supper to be more than just a custom we engage in, we need to eat the bread and drink the cup believing that Christ's body was offered for me and his blood shed for me on the cross. It's only by believing in Jesus Christ that we're saved. Christ's sacrifice on the cross is the only ground for our salvation. It's through a focus on Christ that the Holy Spirit changes us. God's goal in worship is to transform us more and more into the image of his Son, Jesus Christ. Christ died a sacrificial death for us on the cross so that more and more we would die to sin and live for him. Christ gave himself sacrificially for us that more and more we would learn to offer up our lives as a sacrifice of thankfulness for his redeeming work. Our worship needs to be Christ-centered, for that's the way in which the Spirit affects change in our hearts and lives. Therefore, beloved, when we gather together twice each Sunday, we need to do that with the expectation that something really special is going to happen we gather in worship, in the workshop of the Spirit, so God can do his life-changing work in our lives, bringing us from death to life, 
transforming our hearts and lives, that more and more we may live for Christ. Yet we need to realize this change in us is often a slow process. A child doesn't become an adult overnight. It takes about 20 years for a baby to develop into an adult. And there's different stages involved. Same is true in the life of a believer. Change doesn't happen in a moment. It's a slow process. It takes time for us to grow in the faith. It takes time for us to develop a Christian character. We wish we would suddenly be transformed into the image of Christ with a flick of a finger. But we know that, the pro that progress in the faith often comes, moving forward three steps and moving back two. You know that, beloved. Don't you wish you could be done with certain sins? Don't you desire that you could be more godly? Doesn't happen overnight, does it? Maturity in the faith is something God works in us over time. Yet for God to work change in us requires repetition. We learn best by doing things over and over again. To learn to play a musical instrument requires regular practice. To develop into a good athlete, you need to do the drills and play the game again and again. You're not going to learn to play a piano well if you never play your scales and if you don't go through your songs again and again. And you'll never be a good basketball player if you don't practice dribbling and passing and shooting. Well, beloved, the same is true in your life with God. Unless you submit to the discipline of God speaking to you and you listening to the preaching of the gospel, you will not grow in faith. If you can't be bothered to come to church and hear what God speaks, your faith will stagnate. Eventually, you might even die. If in your mind the sacraments are just customs and traditions, if you tune out when they're administered, your faith will not be strengthened. If you don't see how baptism and the Lord's Supper point us to Christ's sacrifice on the cross, you will not share in the forgiveness of sins and the eternal life promised in them. Beloved, we began this sermon by speaking about how within the Christian church, some perform a more traditional form of worship, while others prefer a more contemporary form of worship. Now, some church federations have gotten involved in what we would call the worship wars. Generally, they involve the older people advocate they involve older people holding on to a traditional way of doing things and younger people advocating for change. In and of itself, making changes to how we worship God is not wrong. As long as those changes are rooted in what the Bible teaches about how God, about God, and about how He commands us to worship Him. The problem that we often face in evaluating how to worship God is this. 
We tend to focus on what we want, on what pleases us. Yet the true worship of God is not about what suits our fancy. The whole point of worship is to train us that life is not about what we want. God gathers us in worship to do his life-changing work in us. God's purpose is to work faith in your heart and to strengthen you in that faith. He uses the preaching of the gospel and the sacraments to conform you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. God's goal is to renew you, to make you holy, to cause you to grow in maturity, to lead you forward on the pathway of everlasting life. Sunday by Sunday, service after service, we hear the preaching of the gospel. We hear about a hundred sermons each year. At times, a sermon will captivate our attention. Other times, we may experience the preaching as dry or boring or not really so relevant. The sacraments are regularly administered among us. And we read through those forms again and again. Through the years, we've witnessed countless baptisms and repeatedly broken bread and drunk from the cup in remembrance of Christ. Why all this repetition? Doesn't it make the sacraments, the celebration of the sacraments, into a boring ritual? After a while, doesn't it all become mindless? Beloved, don't despise the means of grace. Heed the call of the elders and gather together regularly and faithfully for the worship of God. Listen, truly listen to the preaching of the gospel. A sermon is not some dry, dusty, boring lecture. If you're listening, you'll hear the voice of the Good Shepherd speaking to you, calling you to repentance and to life. The sacraments are not meaningless rituals or traditions. Through them, the Holy Spirit focuses our attention on Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice for our sins. I know that church involves a lot of repetition. We hear the same kind of sermons again and again. We partake in the same sacraments over and over. We worship this way because these are the means by which the Holy Spirit does his life-changing work in us. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing from hymn 52, stanzas 1 and 2.